the word gospel as a kind of summary of Christian belief, connected to phrases like, God loves you, or Jesus died for your sins. But over time, religious words like gospel can lose their power and meaning by becoming too familiar. So let's take a moment to rediscover what this important word, gospel, meant to the people who wrote the Bible. Gospel translates the Old Testament Hebrew verb, biser, and the noun, besorah. The Greek New Testament equivalent is euangelion, which is a compound word. Eu means good, and angelion means announcement. All of these words mean good news, but what kind of news? Well, in Hebrew, biser is what we might call national news, or a royal announcement. Like when King David hears a messenger Biser that his army was victorious in battle. That means he still rules on his throne over the people of Israel. And after David dies, his throne is passed on to Solomon, his son. And when he was inaugurated as king in Jerusalem, a herald spreads the Besorah, that a new ruler is in charge. But after Solomon's death came a bunch of bad news kings whose corruption led their nation into self-destruction. This is why the prophet Isaiah announced the good news that one day the God of Israel would come as the cosmic king to confront all corrupt and violent kingdoms and restore his rule over all nations. And so when Jesus of Nazareth hit the public stage, he continued Isaiah's gospel when he went around announcing the euangelion of God's kingdom. Jesus claimed that God was restoring his reign over his people Israel and over all nations, and he was the one bringing it all about. Now, the euangelion about a new king in charge means a new way of life. Jesus said that living in God's kingdom meant following him by putting down the sword and seeking peace through radical forgiveness and generosity even toward your enemies. His good news required people to make a decision. This is why Jesus took his euangelion to Jerusalem to confront the corrupt and violent kingdoms of his day. But he challenged them in a surprising way with the power of God's generous love. As Jesus was being executed by his enemies, he received his crown and was mocked as a fake king. But he displayed true royal authority by forgiving his tormentors. Jesus was the one in charge that day, giving his life for the sins of others. And then, a few days later, everything changed. Jesus rose from the dead as the true king, whose love is stronger than death. He appeared to hundreds of his followers and told them to spread the euangelion, that all authority in heaven and earth now belongs to him. And they did share this good news all over the ancient world. They did it by writing the four accounts of Jesus' life that are the gospel. That is, they tell the story of how Jesus brought God's kingdom, how he lived for others and died for their sins, and then was raised from the dead. Jesus' followers also shared the good news by simply talking about it. This is why Peter and Paul, or Priscilla and Aquila, traveled all around sharing the royal announcement. While it might look like the rulers of our world are in charge and can do whatever they want, the good news is that the crucified and risen Jesus is the true Lord of the world, the real king of all creation. And in Jesus' kingdom, things are different. It's where the real leaders are the servants because the last are first and the first go to the back of the line. It's where the hungry are fed and the homeless are welcome because love is the most powerful reality of God's kingdom. And this good news is not easy to believe. It actually sounds kind of crazy when you first hear it, but something happens when people tell the story of Jesus and start living like he really is the king of the world. 
That's when this gospel becomes the best news that you've ever heard. So you probably guessed by the video and uh, our songs today that we're talking about the gospel. Uh, and the gospel oftentimes, like the video said, becomes uh, just another church word. And so we're going to look a little bit about what the gospel is today. Uh, one of the great things I love about the gospel is that uh, I've heard different pastors and theologians and commentators say that the gospel's shallow enough for a toddler to wade in and deep enough for an elephant to swim in. And so that word gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion, as you heard. Um, and euangelion uh, means good news. But what the video didn't say that many commentators say is that it means life-changing good news. And so I, think, I thought about some, what's the difference in my life between good news that's happened to me and what's the difference between life-changing good news. So good news that's happened to me are... Um, after being bummed about the fact that the Lions were one in six, that they ended up uh, nine and eight uh, this year. Uh, some good news, if you were to tell me January 15, uh, 2021, two years ago, that the University of Michigan would have won two Big Ten championships and beat Ohio State and made the playoffs, um, that would be good news. But those aren't life-changing good news for me. Uh, maybe for Coach Campbell and Coach Harbaugh, those are life-changing good news. But life-changing good news for me uh, came on May 19, 2008, when Rachel uh, Ship at the time said that she would be my wife. Uh, and then February 7, 2009, when we uh, stood up at the altar and uh, got married. Uh, life-changing good news for me uh, happened April 27, 2012, when we welcomed our first child, uh, Julia. And uh, again, life-changing good news happened uh, November 15, uh, 2015, November 18, 2015. Uh, good thing, uh, hopefully I won't get in trouble with Ella for messing up her birthday there. Uh, so, but uh, that was life-changing good news for me. Uh, another life-changing good news for me happened when I was 11 years old. Uh, when I was 11 years old, I uh, stood up in front of our elders and uh, professed my faith in Jesus. And then on uh, April 19, uh, 1996, I stood up in front of my church, Faith Reformed Church in Zeeland, Michigan, uh, and professed my faith. And I just knew a little bit about the gospel at that point. I knew that I loved Jesus. I knew that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus lived a perfect life and that he died for my sins. I knew that Jesus was resurrected three days later. And um, that's basically what I knew about the gospel at that point, uh, which is definitely the gospel, but uh, it goes so much deeper and becomes so much more a part of our lives. Uh, we're gonna look at what Paul says about the gospel today uh, in Romans chapter one, uh, which can be found on verses, or, found on page uh, 911, or uh, and Galatians uh, chapter 1, uh, which can be found on 942. Uh, but before I get there, uh, I want to share with you guys just a little bit about what the gospel is. So the gospel is that we all have sinned. So Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So every single one of us, you and I, everyone who's walked on the earth has sinned. Um, and then Paul goes on later in Romans, Romans 6, 23, he says, for the wages of sin is death. 
So all of us, because of our sin, we deserve death. Uh, But Romans 6.23 goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So if we have asked Jesus uh, to forgive us, realize that we're sinners, and ask Jesus to forgive us for our sin, and then make him the Lord of our life, um, then we have believed the gospel. Um, But unless you realize your sin, you're going to want religion and not the gospel. See, religion is searching for God, and the gospel is that God comes to seek and save us. So religion is what every other religion besides Christianity believes, that um, like Judaism, that you have to follow the Torah and do the right things in order to earn your salvation with God. Uh, in, um, in other religions like Buddhism and Hinduism, uh, you have to earn your nirvana or um, earn karma. Uh, in religions, uh, in other religions, you have to do things to earn. But in our religion, uh, Jesus Christ paid the price for us. He came down and he did the work to earn our salvation. But that salvation came at a price. Uh, oftentimes in youth group, I'll use this analogy that um, our salvation came at a price. I think last year in youth group, uh, what I did was I took an old cell phone that I had and I gave it to the first kid that came through youth group. I said, hey, pretend that this cell phone is yours and play with it throughout, our, throughout the meal, play with it throughout um, throughout the game, just pretend like it's yours, and I'll get to the end. Of, I got to the end of uh, youth group, and I'd and end of my talk, and I'd whip out my cell phone and say, "Hey, uh, before you guys all go to small group, I want to make sure I get a picture." And so I'd whip out my 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 cell phone, and I'd be like, "Oh man, it's dead." And then I'd ask that kid for a cell for for the cell phone that I'd given him earlier. I said, "Hey, can I borrow your cell phone?" And I have a picture of water. Uh, sitting in front of me, uh, similar to this picture of water, and I'd take the picture and I'd drop the cell phone in the water. And then that kid, I'd be like, oh man, I'm so sorry. And that kid would say, hey, don't worry about it. Um, I, my parents' insurance will pay for a new one. And then I'd say, that's the same thing with the gospel. The same thing with our sins is that we, someone has to pay for our sins, whether it's us spending eternity without God in hell or whether it's uh, Jesus on the cross, uh, someone has to pay for their sins. And so that is probably the longest uh, introduction I've ever given. Uh, But uh, so we're going to dive into Romans. And so Romans uh, chapter 1, 1 through 6 says this. um, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel, the gospel he promised beforehand, through his prophets and holy scriptures regarding his son, who as earthly life was a descendant of David and through whose spiritual holiness was appointed son of God by the power of the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his namesake and also you among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. So right here, Paul points out what the gospel is. So you look at uh, verse two, he says the gospel was promised beforehand. Um, And the gospel was promised all the way in the very beginning of the Bible. So Genesis one and two, uh, you look at God creates the world and he creates it perfectly. And then we get to Genesis three and Adam and Eve mess it up. 
Um, and uh, we sin and constantly continue to ma- continue that sin. But in Genesis 3, in the punishment, uh, God tells Eve, he tells Eve, he says, the off- your offspring is going to crush the head of the serpent. Um, and the serpent will bite your heel. And so we know that a redeemer is coming right from that very, from Genesis chapter 3. And we learn later on uh, that the redeemer is going to come, our savior is going to come through the line of Abraham. And Abraham's like, I don't have a, an heir. So he tries to have a, have a kid and God's like, it's not that kid that, that the heir is going to come from. He says it's going to come uh, through Sarah. And we learn that Isaac comes. And then Isaac has two kids, Jacob and Esau. We'll learn that the younger is who it's going to, who the heir is going to come from, who our redeemer is going to come from. We learn later on that uh, through the line of Judah, uh, not um, Jacob or not Joseph or Benjamin, uh, who uh, Jacob would have given rightfully as the heir. And then we learn later on that it's going to come through David. And then there's hundreds of other prophecies about the Messiah uh, that comes. And then we get to Jesus. And Jesus is the true second Adam, as uh, Matt read. He's the human that lived a perfect life. And not only lived a perfect life, but gave himself up willingly for our sins. Gave himself up willingly for us. And then he died, and he was resurrected. And the resurrection is huge. You see, for the wages of sin is death. And so in order to defeat sin, you have to defeat death. One of my favorite books to read as a kid, um, it was actually banned in Zealand uh, where I grew up, is called Harry Potter. Um, and uh, in the very end of, of Harry Potter, uh, the very last book, you, uh, you get to it, and it's called The, the Deathly Hollows. And Harry comes to, goes to his parents' grave for the first time. And when Harry's at, at his parents' grave, uh, what, he, what it says on the gravestone Um, is always very intriguing to me. It says, uh, death is the last enemy. And so in order to defeat sin, you have to defeat death. And what it means to defeat death is for someone who doesn't deserve death, meaning someone who hasn't earned death, meaning someone who didn't sin, has to live a perfect life and then die and suffer death. But not only death, if Jesus had stayed in the grave, the gospel wouldn't exist. But Jesus is resurrected, and because of his resurrection, because he defeats death, uh, we're introduced into a whole new world order, a whole new existence, a brand new creation. Uh, we're, we're given this unmerited favor, this unmerited grace. Um, and what that unmerited grace means is that we don't have to earn our salvation, but what it means is that we have to give our whole lives over to Jesus if we truly believe in the gospel. It means that our faith uh, has to trump, our faith in Jesus has to trump things like our 401ks, has to trump things like our political allegiance, has to trump things like even our families, has to be more important to us than anything else. Uh, Dr. Tim Keller, uh, you often hear him quoted from this pulpit here, uh, says in one of his books uh, called Prodigal God, he talks about how when he was early in his ministry, he met this lady and he shared the gospel with her. And after sharing the gospel at the pulpit, she comes up to him and she says, I am so scared of this unmerited grace. I don't, I don't understand. He asks her why. And this is, the, this is Tim Culler's quote from Prodigal God. He says, 
I asked her, what was so scary about unmerited free grace? She replied something like this, if I was saved by my good works, then there would be a limit to what God could ask me or put me through. I would be like a taxpayer with rights. I would have done my uh, duty, and now I would deserve a certain quality of life. But if it's true, then I'm a sinner saved by sheer grace at God's infinite cost. Then there's nothing he can't ask of me. And that's true. If we are sinners saved by God's sheer grace, then there's nothing he can't ask of us. It's, it would be like um, if someone just, if we deserve to die, and yet someone paid the price uh, for us, and someone took our place in death. In death. Um, there's tons of examples of this um, throughout history of people who, um, who, share, who took the place of that person who deserved uh, death or, or took on that debt or took on that sin. Um, and that's, that's how it's like with our relationship with God is that he needs to be the center of our life because uh, we owe everything to him. It's not like we're taxpayers where we've done a certain thing in order to earn our salvation. Um, and Paul says this, that we need to, one of the big things that we need to do is not be a, a timid about sharing our faith. I think that's something that in modern day America, we're really scared of, of sharing our faith. Uh, Pastor Brandon shared with council this past week about the, the growth of the CRC. The CRC has traditionally grown uh, through a couple things, um, through birth, through um, immigration, and um, through transfer from other CRC churches. That's how, that's how CRC churches have typically grown. Uh, but uh, how we're called to grow is through new believers. And so uh, Paul writes uh, later on in Romans chapter 1, Romans 1, 16 and 17, he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of the gospel that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jews, then the Gentiles. For the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed, that righteousness that will live by faith from first to last, just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. And so if we have faith in God, then that is ultimately who, where our identity comes from. Our identity ultimately comes from the gospel um, and not from our last name, not even from our Dutch heritage, not from, uh, not from our jobs, not from who our family is, uh, not from how good we are at something, uh, but our identity comes from that. And when the, when the storms come, we won't be shaken when we lose our job, when we get sick, when a loved one passes away, we won't be shaken. And as we look at the life of Paul, he has a lot of just hard things that comes for him, but because the gospel is the very center of his life, it, all those things don't matter. Those things um, don't shake him. In fact, he uses those things to advance the gospel. Second um, Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 23 through 27, uh, go, Paul goes through this whole long list of hard things that he goes through, um, but he uses it to advance the gospel. I'm just going to read that to you quick a minute. Um, in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27, Paul says, 
Are they servants of Christ? Am I out of my mind to talk like this? Am I more? Have I worked much harder? Have I been in prison more frequently? Have I been flogged more severely? Have I been exposed to death again and again? Five times I received from the Jews, 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger. I've known thirst. I've, I've known what it's like to go without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. And besides everything else, I've daily faced pressure from my concerns for all the churches. And so here Paul is, he's suffering uh, constantly for the gospel. Um, and it, but instead of turning his back on God, what Paul does is he gets put on house arrest and he writes most of the New Testament. Uh, he gets put on house arrest and he converts the jailers. He says, hey, I, I'm going to get shipwrecked. And what's going to happen? Am I going to be woe is me? Um, no, he gets shipwrecked, he gets bit by a snake, and he um, survives, and he ends up converting most of the island to Christianity. And so our hardships, if we truly believe in God, our hardships are not going to stop us from sharing our faith. Um, we're going to turn to the second, um, our second verse in Galatians in just a minute, um, and it can be found on page 942 in your pew Bibles. I'm gonna read from the ESV just because I like the version, so it may be just a little bit different from what um, you're used to. But uh, in the book of Galatians, Paul warns this Galatian church to not uh, turn away from the gospel, to keep the gospel the very center of their lives. And so here's what Paul says to uh, the church in Galatians, Galatians one through five, he says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Christ Jesus and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me, to the church in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to his will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is saying here to the church in Galatia, preach the gospel to yourself over and over again. And right there in verse one, he's, he's like, Jesus was raised from the dead. He was God himself in the flesh, he's saying. Um, he's saying, Jesus gave himself up for our sins in verse four, and he delivered us from evil. And so we need to preach the gospel to ourselves over and over again, even as believers, even as people who have been in church our whole lives. We're called to constantly remind ourselves of the gospel because it's very easy for us to forget the gospel. It's very easy for us to forget the power of the gospel. Um, it's easy for us to think, hey, I grew up in church. I was baptized as a baby. I made profession of faith as a teenager. I'm good. Um, but that's not how, what we're called to do with the gospel. Um, all those things are great. And um, I encourage you to baptize your kids. Um, and I certainly encourage, uh, if you haven't made profession of faith, we've got a class coming up. I encourage you to join that class. Um, but it's more than just that. It's, it's making the gospel the very center of every aspect of your life. If you do that, I've seen things 
that the gospel has done. I've seen things like the gospel uh, bring unity amongst uh, people who weren't unified. Uh, for example, um, when I first started in youth ministry, I uh, worked for an organization called Young Life, which many of you are familiar with. Um, and I was placed down in rural Arkansas. And the, the town I was placed in in Arkansas was right against the Mississippi River and the Mississippi Delta. Um, and literally, African Americans lived on one side of the tracks. Uh, Caucasian people lived on the other side of the tracks. Um, they went to different schools. So after desegregation happened, uh, started these uh, academies uh, where uh, mostly white people went, white kids went to. They went to different churches. And so when I, when I was offered the job as area director down there, I said, I'll take the job but only if we reach the 70% um, of kids that we're not reaching. We were uh, mostly just reaching the kids at the white uh, segregation academy. And so they said, okay, how are you gonna do that? And I said, well, um, I've got a number of teachers who are Bible believing that are at the public school and I'm gonna recruit them to be leaders. And um, our first, uh, club, I had um, my friend Sam was one of our students. His dad was also the landlord and owned my house. Um, and he came up to me and said, hey, Nate, uh, there is like a bunch of like six foot eight African-American kids walking up to your house. Uh, and I said, that's okay. That's Cortrellis and RJ. Um, it's, it's all good. Um, and by the end of the year, both Cortrellis and RJ and Sam had accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, had made the gospel the center of their lives. And I saw their lives totally change. I saw Sam going to rap, Cortrellis' rap concerts. I saw Cortrellis going to Sam's football games. And I saw the gospel bringing unity amongst them. And I saw the good news. I also, another way where I've seen the gospel bring unity is um, for two years, I was a member of uh, BSF. Uh, the first year, um, BSF is called Bible Study Fellowship. Uh, the first year I was a member, and the second year I was the leader of a group. Um, and in this group, I had, um, the first group we had eight different, or 13 different guys from eight different countries. The second group we had, um, that I was a leader of, we had uh, 13 guys from nine different countries. And these were countries that had not a lot in common uh, with me, anyhow. Uh, countries like India, Pakistan, where kids, people like literally uh, hated each other, but these guys loved each other. Uh, countries like Kenya, Kuwait, China, Indonesia, um, where there were guys in my group where I had more in common with those guys than what I had in common with my unbelieving neighbors or my unbelieving uh, coworkers uh, when I worked at Pizza Hut. Um, and so the gospel truly can provide us with unity. The gospel can truly provide us with um, just an ultimate unity. But we need to be quickly not to forget the gospel. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter one. He goes on in uh, verses uh, six through nine. He says, I'm astonished how quickly you desert him who called you to grace of Christ and turn to a different gospel. Not that there is one, but some of you troubled to distort the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. Even if an angel from heaven were to preach you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. As I've said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And so in those days, some of the things that they were forgetting about the gospel is they were turning back to their uh, 
old ways, their old Jewish ways, and they were turning uh, to their old Jewish ways and believing um, that you had to be circumcised and you had to follow the Jewish laws and rituals. Um, and the Greeks were eating food, sacrificed to idols, and doing things that, um, sexual things that they probably shouldn't have done. Uh, and so those aren't some of the things that we struggle with sometimes with forgetting the gospel. But some of the things that I think we struggle with in uh, distorting the gospel are things like believing in a good works gospel. A good works gospel that says that we have to do something to earn our salvation. Barna a few years ago did a study amongst evangelical Christians and asked them, what, how do you know you're going to heaven? And you know what breaks my heart? 80% of them said uh, that I'm a good person. So because I'm a good person, I know that I'm going to heaven. Um, and that's not the gospel. It's not about how good we are, but it's about what Jesus did. And so this is something that we can often uh, get atoned into, get thought into, is that if I'm a good person, if I'm good enough, then I'm going to earn my ticket to heaven. The second thing is the happiness gospel. This is also uh, can be thought of as the prosperity gospel. Um, this, this gospel that if I sow enough seeds, if I do enough good, if I do give enough to God, um, he's going to bless me um, in ways monetarily and um, bless me with health. Or it's that God is a genie in a bottle and his main goal is to grant our wishes for money, stuff, and success. In this gospel, there's not much room for hardship or suffering, which makes the cross really, really hard to explain. The third thing that I think we can fall into is the ticket to heaven gospel. Um, this reduces the gospel to a one-time decision, perhaps that we made as a child or that we've been baptized or made profession of faith, and we're good. We don't have to live uh, differently than the rest of the world. We can live one way on Sunday and another way uh, the rest of our lives. Um, it reduces us to a practical atheist, um, and this isn't the gospel either. Um, I hope this gives you just a better idea of what the gospel is and what it's not uh, and why it matters. As I wrap things up today, I want to give you three specific action steps for how you can keep the gospel the center of your life. The first one is to study the gospel. Uh, study the gospel. There's lots of ways to study the gospel. Uh, one of the best ways is simply open up the books Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you say, hey, Nate, I'm not much of a reader. Uh, download a Bible app on your tablet, phone, uh, whatever it is, and they have like 12 or 13 different versions you can download that you can just simply press play, and it will read it all to you. Um, and so sometimes like I'll do this while I'm uh, doing the dishes or studying or um, Going, for, going on a walk or working out, I'll just have my headphones in and just have the Bible playing. And it's a, just a great way to study the Bible. Take notes, write down questions, at, go through it with a friend. Um, if you still have questions about it, uh, pick up a commentary. Or I know any of your elders or Pastor Brandon or any of us on staff would love to answer any questions you have um, that you're like, hey, I don't understand this about the gospel. Or uh, come back tonight at 5 o'clock and we'll talk about it at night church. Um, the next thing is savor the gospel. Savor the gospel um, if anyone enjoys a nice juicy, juicy steak, I love a nice juicy steak. And when you eat a steak, you just sell, you just eat it and you savor it and you chew it and you take in all the flavor. 
But um, when I was a kid, we would have steak on Sunday, and sometimes steak would be dropped on the floor, and we'd have a, a little dog, uh, little Shih Tzus, my parents always have, and they would eat the, and this do the dogs, when you dropped a piece of steak on the ground, would run up and just devour the steak in like a millisecond. So eat the gospel like a human eats a steak, not like a dog eats a steak. Um, and, and encourage you to savor the gospel, enjoy it, explore the depths of the gospel as you apply the truth of the gospel in every aspect of your life. And the last thing is share the gospel. The gospel was never intended for the four walls of Ivanrest Church. The gospel was never intended for the walls of the CRC. The gospel was intended to be shared to the ends of the earth. Um, and we, it's not an option for us to be a part of it. We're commanded by God to be a part of it. He tells us in the Great Commission to therefore go and make disciples of all nations. We all know people that are, we all have friends, family, neighbors, teammates. Um, there are lots of people within a few miles of this church, thousands of people in fact, uh, that if they were to die today, they'd end up uh, not spending eternity with Jesus. And we have the gospel. Are you and I willing to share it? There's only one true gospel, and it's for us as believers to remind ourselves of it often. And we're called to share it with a non-believing world. I want to encourage you and challenge you to study the gospel, savor the gospel, and share the gospel. Now let us pray. Lord God, I thank you so much just for the opportunity we have to know a little bit more about your gospel. Lord God, I thank you so much for the good news of what you did on the cross, Lord God. We are grateful uh, for the, what you did on the cross, how you died and rose again from the dead, and how you changed our destiny for eternity, Lord God. I pray that you give us boldness to go deeper in the gospel, boldness to savor the gospel, boldness to preach the gospel to ourselves daily, and boldness to go and share the gospel with an unbelieving world. In your son Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen.